Hello, everybody, and welcome to Building a Bridge. My name is Jesse Brisenine. My name is Jared Countess. And our mission is to empower people to use their voice to build a bridge beyond race relations, creating unity and understanding, effectively raising the collective consciousness of humanity. Last time we had a really cool conversation going into some interesting dynamics of humans and language and the language we choose and critical moments of choice and how we view other people. We talked about the story of the Taliban and what we might learn from them. And today, since it is 9-11, the 19th anniversary of the World Trade Center, Jared and I were talking beforehand. We thought we might, 9-11, I'm sorry, it's 9-11 when we're recording this. Yes. It's 9-11 <laughs> when we're recording this. And we are going to, we thought we might evolve today's conversation around that. Yeah. So um, we, it, it's, I brought up the fact when we started to talk about this as a topic for today, because you have to, right? This is a, this is a, a pivotal moment in American history. I don't care what anybody says. Um, you know, I think the most successful or the greatest loss of life from any uh, terrorist attack on you on U.S. soil. Um, you know, thousands of people died. Like literally, like you know, so that's infected. You know, financial markets, businesses, everything brought us into a war. <laughs> um, which, you know, we still have troops overseas in those countries right now. Um, but one of the things that I was thinking about it from was just the evolution mindset towards Muslims, right? Um, or Islamic people and um, how at that point in time, right? Um, definitely. So before 9-11, like terrorists were a thing but I don't think people were really afraid of um, Muslims or, you know. Um, and then after 9-11, like you had all these comedians and like it was real talk. And even I did it as a black guy, like if you saw someone that looked Muslim or had the garb or whatever, get on the plane, you were like, oh, I'm ramped up right now. Like if he gets up, if he does, you know, I'm like, I'm like, we're not going out that way. We're, we're going to go down like the plane in Pennsylvania. We're not, you know what I mean? Like just primed, right? And um, always kind of looking kind of cross-eyed. Um, I think we've finally gotten to a place um, in America today where we're not like that. We're not living on this like edge of fear and prejudice. Um, and I told Jesse before we got on, like I think one of the great examples of that, and we've learned it, like, from actually having troops go over there and go to war and everything else. And, you know, you have friends, family members, you know, come back and everything else. Um, and everybody over there is not the bad guy. So not only is not every Muslim at home, not the bad guy, but every Muslim in the Middle East is not the bad guy. And you learn that like the majority of Muslims in the Middle East are not the bad guys, right? And you, you know, and it's and it's this um, small group, this subsection, and causes the fear of the entire one and generalize all, right? Um, I still think some people fall into that trap. I got into a conversation the other day because it's the fucking way the world is that you know, blah blah blah, I need to be wiped off the map, yada yada yada. You hear that every once in the blue moon, and you know, I look at people like. <laughs> I can't help my eyes are all raised and like, really? 
men, women, children, like, and, but then you, then you, we have wonderful stories like what Jesse told um, the other time when we were on, last time we were on, of his friend who, um, you know, met the guy in the village who was in charge of the water, put in place by the Taliban, and he could have chose to look at him as the enemy, chose to look at him as a human being and a friend, and he established a friendship, right? And, you know, it, it built a bond and a sense of loyalty between the two of them. And uh, he saw the person. And, you know, we've, we've, we've come from 9-11, massive generalization, massive fear, right? To now, well, person, individual, right? I'm gonna judge you as an individual based on your actions. I think that's overwhelmingly the case in America. And that's a, and that is to me, inspiring, enlightening, and uplifting, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. And- yeah, you know, Jared, what I think is so interesting too is is when we would use that term Muslim, right? We would use a religious designation to stereotype all these people who practice this religion, but we were specifically honing in on ones that looked a certain way. Right, that looked Ooh. like Osama bin Laden or something like that. So it was mm-hmm. we, there was a certain build, certain structure, all these types of things we were looking at that we were. And when Jared and I were talking about this beforehand, there was two things that we we came up. Jared was talking about how we had that that discrimination of or stereotyping of um, individuals, Muslims who looked a certain way. And then we were also talking about how, for me at least, from my perspective in my lifetime. It was one of the first only times in my lifetime I felt like I was a part of the truly United States, where everywhere you would go, you'd have flags flying, you had you know people sharing this common thing, and everybody's super proud to be American. I, I had heard something at that time that military enrollment was the highest it had been since World War II. People were going in, signing up, volunteering. They wanted to, you know, and, it, and I, I think this is pertinent because it speaks volumes to some of the themes that we've been talking about about how we form communities, we, we focus on what divides us or unites us. We focus on similarities or differences. And what we had at that time, you know, what Bin Laden and those folks gave us is they gave us this cause that allowed us to forget some of the bullshit we were obsessing over before. And all of a sudden now, it didn't matter if you were black, white, brown, blue, green. It didn't matter because we all bled red, white, and blue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we we all did and so we were we had this this common theme going through you know there was really an idea of patriotism and unity and we we were we were stepping up and coming together to defend our families and our families were no longer just who we inhabited four walls with it was the people on our streets it didn't matter if they were republican or democrat it didn't matter if they voted for bush or clinton or whoever it was at that time what mattered was is that they they shared the same heritage and, and unity as us. And so it was a really fascinating thing. And, and there's two stories that I always remember from 9-11. And for some reason, I feel that they might be worth sharing because it offers, a, I think, an interesting perspective and really being intentional about what we focus on and how it might shape or color perceptions. Uh, there was a period of time a few years ago where I got really into presidential biographies and autobiographies. And so I was just, I was reading, I probably read 
a half a dozen or so of the presidents in order. It was just boom, 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 boom. And I read George W's Bush, George W's Bush. <laughs> I read George W's book. <laughs> I, I was telling Jared, I didn't get much sleep last night. So you'll have to all forgive me if there's a couple of slips of words. I read George W's autobiography and he was talking about the time after 9-11. And he said he went to, he had gone to this, you know, shelter where they had taken people who were evacuating or people who were trying to find loved ones. And he's going around visiting with people, chatting with people. And he came across this lady who extended her hand out and she was the wife of a New York firefighter, one of the ones who had charged into the tower as it was beginning to crumble down. And she was still waiting, holding out a hope that her husband might be alive, but knowing full well that he was most likely dead. And she handed him, she handed Bush, while their hands were clasped and they were shaking her hand, she handed him her husband's badge. And she said, Mr. President, promise me you will never forget what happened here today. And Bush said that for the rest of his presidency, he always carried that badge around in his pocket. And, you know, and it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question to consider because I think oftentimes when we form our opinions about people, we think they're focusing on one thing when they might be focused on something completely different. We might think Bush is focusing on getting, getting Osama or whatever, but maybe he's really focusing on that firefighter and that wife. I don't know about any of you, but I know that anytime, you know, many of us, when we're married, we wear wedding bands, right? And we look at that wedding band, when we look down at it, there's a symbol. And usually when we look at it, or we feel it, it elicits an emotion, an image of that person, right? Whether that emotion is positive or negative, depending on how your encounters were with them the day before, that could be subject to change. But just consider that for a moment. Because, you know, we oftentimes will take people and we will make really broad generalizations about them, perceiving them as believing and focusing on one thing when it might be something completely different. The other story that always comes to mind with this was uh, Anthony Robbins, who's, who's a well-known person in the, you know, what I'm probably going to do. So yeah, he, no, I know. Yeah, yeah go for it. Yeah, <laughs> so he, there's, he's actually got a few because he was running a workshop in Hawaii at the time. And he had quite a few people if you've ever been to one of tony robbins workshops now they're they get 10 20 000 plus people there but this one had probably 500 maybe a thousand people in it and hawaii time they're six hours or whatever it is behind new york so when they're finishing up the they're finishing up at night it's early early morning in new york and there was a lady there attending and there's a few really interesting stories out of there. There's one that was a really powerful one. This might be the other one, but there's a lady who was attending. And when she was there, the reason she was there is because her, her husband, I think it was her husband or her fiance yes. had been killed. And she had swore she would never love again. She was grief stricken, all this type of stuff. But a couple of years go by and she meets this other guy, sweeps her off her feet. They fall in love and she get, he proposes to her. She says no because she's terrified of losing him again, she's losing someone she loves again and going through that pain. So she says no. She says, I can't marry you. It's not going to work. And then she leaves to go to this workshop because she's largely going to the workshop to do some soul searching. 
Well, they do this whole process, and at the end of it, she has this clarity that she does love him, that it's worth the risk to love him, and that she doesn't want to live her life holding back anymore out of fear. So she calls him up, and it's middle of the night, early morning in New York, so he doesn't answer. It goes a voicemail. She leaves him a voicemail and just says, I want you to know, you know, I, I've had a lot of time to think, and I absolutely love you. I adore you. You are the only one for me. I want to spend my rest of my life with you. I would love to marry you. Please, please, if you'll still take me, you know, I, I want to spend my life with you. And then she goes to bed. She wakes up in the morning, like most of us did on that day, to see the either one or both towers in flames. And she sees that she has a voicemail. She answers her phone. She picks up her voicemail. And on the other end is a message from the guy. And he says, he's saying to her, I, you have no idea how happy you made me. I consider myself the luckiest man alive. I feel like I just won the lottery. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And he said, Anne, I hate to do this to you again, but it's not going to happen. He said, I don't know if you've seen the news yet, but there was a plane crash into the trade towers, towers and I'm trapped on the top floor. I'm probably going to die. And he then goes on to tell her that, you know, basically that, Please, please promise me you won't allow this to hold your heart back and keep you from loving. And then the, the perception goes dead. And she played that out loud for the audience. And it, that story has always stuck with me too, because I think it's a reminder that all of us are fighting our own battles, right? All of us are fighting our own battles. And then at the end of it all, what really matters most is love. And it's incredible to consider that we will go through life sometimes holding back and disconnecting from love because we're so afraid of being hurt and pain. And it, it's, it, Jared and you and I have talked about this a bunch. It keeps coming back to this idea of there's two main emotions and everything else springs from love and fear. And if we, if we lean more into fear, we're leaning away from love. And if we lean more into love, then we're leaning away from fear. And the challenge with this is, is that I think a lot of times many of us think we're leaning into love when we're actually leaning into fear. Ooh. Right. I think that lady very much thought that her initial no was an act of love. She wanted to spare him. Right. I wanted to spare him. Maybe the, the, the pain I'd been through of having to be with me. Maybe she thought she was jinxed, all those types of things. Right. And I think that in many ways reflects what's going on right now. And, and some of the stuff is that we will, we will lean one way or the other. And many of us have encountered this on social media where we have friends that we know are really probably good, decent people, but where we see them in any given moment leaning, they inevitably are leaning away more into fear and away from love. And then there's struggles. There's a communication breakdown, right? So uh, I want to, uh, sorry, I hope I'm not interrupting. No, do go, please. But I, I, I want to, I kind of want to run with that and then tell, you know, another story from that Tony Robbins incident, right? And then also tell um, my own personal story, right? So <laughs> I think you're, you're, I'm not sure if people are always aware. I will say this, like I got into an argument with a person who used to be a coworker of my wife. 
right? And he was coming from a definite place of fear, right? And, um, you know, he was, his defense was, I'm taking this position to protect my family. This was a Black Lives Matter argument versus, right? And I was like, well, if you're taking this position preemptively to protect your family, right, and your son, and you put up a picture of it, then, then, then why would you tell a Black man to ignore what's happening in America, right, when he's trying to raise his own family, right? You won't ignore it. Why would you tell someone else to ignore it? And, and, it's, not even, and it's not even the case whereas your, your son or your family is physically being attacked or something. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? And, but, but you're willing to fight because this is your family and you're going to protect them and blah, 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 blah. I was like, over something that's not happening, right? It's not, it's not, a, it's not like, that's not, this is really happening right now. We have case, 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 case to say it's, this, is, this is a problem, right? And it's unavoidable because of the color of your skin. It doesn't matter what my economic disposition is and it doesn't matter, you know, where I live. You hold the opinion that I'm more dangerous or that my son is going to be more dangerous because he has black skin, right? And you said this in this conversation, Right, and I'm telling you that that's wrong, and you're defending it, right? And then you're saying you're willing to fight. This guy, this guy, this conversation went down a really dark place. You're willing to fight or kill to to defend that. And he was coming from a place of fear, not love, right? Because he he knows me, right? He knows my family, right? And he knows plenty of other black people, right? But he has pushed this group, or we should ignore it the black people that he knows, right? We should ignore it, accept the reality, right? And anybody that wants to fight against it needs to be, in his words, wiped off, wiped from the planet, right? Wiped off the face of the planet, right? And because they're a danger to his family, <laughs> right? Down the line, eventually, maybe, like I think like it's hitting that direction where they could be dangerous, right? And so that was like, fear trying to cover it with love right in my in my personal so yes i think love connects us love we search for bonds when you're in love with somebody you can almost like really in love you don't even see their flaws you don't even see the things that's wrong with them but when you're afraid of someone all you see is the differences right that's it and you focus on that and you don't even want to see the similarities right because yes. it can make me vulnerable, right? So we, we operate from a place of, I will never be vulnerable when we come from a place of fear. Like I can't, so that means I'm attacked first. I am going to build a wall. I am going to divide, 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 divide so that I can, when it comes time to strike, I will strike without hesitation. Yeah. And, that's, and that is, that is the, the, to me, the definition of why we, where we come from when we're operating from fear. I'm building a wall, I'm separating. So that I can strike without any whatever, right? Um, now, uh, did you want to chime in on that? Because I got I got more. I'm gonna. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's one thing that just popped up when you said that. It occurred to me as you were talking that I think one of the challenges that keeps arising with us is part of our upset at one another is we're upset at how we communicate, right? So I'm upset that Black Lives Matter doesn't accumulate communicate all lives matter that it's a communication thing but the challenge with this is is that most of us don't even like how we communicate with ourselves 
Oh. We say so much disparaging and hurtful stuff of, in our own minds. And then it's almost like we put this expectation onto others to communicate in a better way than we will, we're willing to communicate with ourselves. But when it hasn't happened that way, when you're not communicating in the way I wish you would communicate, you know, you're speaking Chinese and I'm speaking Greek, you're believing in this and I'm believing in that, there's this massive communication breakdown. And because we've made it so okay for us to go so nuclear on our own minds in our own heads, why would we extend any courtesy to another that we won't extend to ourselves? And I'll be, I'll be honest with you. Like I reviewed like at the, at the time, I don't know if you noticed this, like in a group, like there was a time where I took a step back in the group. Like I'll still comment and stuff like that, but definitely not as engaging as I was because I was going through some of these conversations with some of these people. And it was, it was like the conversation was going there, right? Repeatedly. And I know a lot of, I have a lot of former military people. And if you talk to military people, we can go there, right? We'll go, we'll go to the fucking dark side and we can get fucking real dark, right? So I was in some deep, dark holes, like, and not like, and not like innuendos, like most Facebook conversations. No, I mean, like, we're going, we're graphic. We're going to get graphic, right? <laughs> and it gets ugly, right? And so, um, and so I was, and even when I spoke to him, what I've reviewed, like now that I'm finally catching, coming out of that spot, was there were times in that conversation where I could have broke down a wall, but because I was angry and irritated, I chose to keep the wall up. Mm. Does that make any kind of sense? Like there were times where I could have said to it, I could have used a comparison that wasn't like I, the way in which I used some comparisons to try to make my points was out of a place of anger or fear as opposed to out of a place of love, right? And, and it, was, it was because, it, you know, he had built this hard wall too, but um, it was, it, it, it was, I was, I was already irritated. Does that make any kind of sense? Yeah. I was already irritated and I was actually trying to actively come down from it and he like triggered me and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And so it went, it, it spiraled. Um, that said, <laughs> back to the, so that's the, that's my fear, right? And that was me because I, I, the truth of it, and we talked about this. I talked about it with Tony, not on the on thing, but in our private conversations, we talked about this in our own private. My fear is, you know, we lose sight of what America is and what America is about and devolve into this recklessness, right? And so that, that's my fear. Right. And so my fight is against that. When I say recklessness, I mean violence. Right. Um, my fight is, is against it. It, it. In my mind is against America not being unified. Right. But also my fight and my fear is related to my family. If that makes any kind of sense. Yeah. So when I hear people make certain statements, I immediately, my projection is to my son is, I think most people are, right? Yeah. And my yeah. wife is Asian, so it doesn't necessarily project directly to her, but it projects directly to my son, right? And it's like, when you make that statement, that's what you're saying about my son, and that's not who my son is. And then for you to tell me, well, if that's not who he is, then he doesn't have anything to worry about, but the majority are this, then, we're, then I get, then I start to lose it start to lose control of, of, of that 
emotional barrier, right? And because my projection is, yeah, well, you don't know that looking at him and you're making this assumption, right? And then he has to prove to you otherwise. Will he get a chance to, right? Because it's, it's a hairy situation and within seconds, someone can make a hairy decision, right? Blah, 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 blah. And so I was like, I have to defeat this. So my fear drives my want to defeat these stereotypes. And my fear also drives, so like I have these conversations and I'll get angry because I'm afraid, hmm. right? And you know what I mean? And, 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 I, and I'll get, and the more I'm afraid that things will devolve, the more aggressive I become. Does that make any kind of sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and so, you know, it, it's, I've been in that fear kind of aggressive place recently, probably for the past like couple of weeks, right? And so that's why I haven't, if you guys have wondered, why I haven't been as engaged, I've been engaged, but I haven't been as engaged with posting and things like that in the group is because of that is where I've been. And I'm a love person. You know what I mean? I am. I'm a love person. Um, I try and, and that's work. Don't get it twisted. Like that's not, that's not easy. Like <laughs> that's a choice. <laughs> it's hard, right? It's hard, right? It's, it's, it, it really is to to find the love, right, that we all seek, that we all want, right, um, that we all want to actually give, right, to other people, right, um, to find that when you're disagreeing with somebody, right, to, and, to, and to pull down the haze and whatever and to do that. So, okay, so all I said, back to, you know, the 9-11, Tony Robbins, other story, right? Um, goodness gracious. Uh, Guys, so much I want to say. We're, we're on time limit today, too, guys. So, <laughs> but um, so another story from that Tony Robbins. He talked about it when they talked about the 9-11 thing happened. You know, some people were like, a lot of people were upset. And he said, and Tony Robbins, of course, this would be at Tony Robbins thing. Muslim guy gets up and he says, America's getting what they deserve. They've been doing this to other countries for years, and they're getting what they deserve. Right. And everybody's like, you know, whatever. Right. And it's a Tony Robbins. So at least I, I don't know what ended up happening to this Muslim guy afterwards. Right. But, you know, and, and that, but that was and I don't even know if, how he said how he dealt with that. But I remember him saying that it happened. Do you, do you remember how he yeah, said yeah. it? You, you want me to, so there was a there was a, a the Muslim guy was, I think, Palestinian or something and he stood up and he's like they deserve this is kind of my jihad or whatever and there's an Israeli Jewish guy that stood up and said like well I'm a New Yorker too and all these types of things and so he brought them both up on stage and did this this uh, I can't remember what his term is for but in base it's essentially not an intervention but it's a way of facilitating communication between two people and you're doing what's called chunking Chunking, in essence, is saying, so most of us get stuck in communication dynamics where we're thinking in these such broad spaces, or we're making such, again, generalizations, that it's this or that. It's, I'm a, I'm a Muslim, and I think that you should have had this happen a long time ago. America's getting what it deserves, because they're taking a few instances that they believe about America, and they're having that represent America as a whole. Just the same as you might have people take a few instances with a black person or a white person and they have that represent black people or white people as a whole. 
And then you had somebody else oppose it. So what happens in these kinds of dynamics is you're, you're looking for, when you're chunking like this, you're trying to go from global to specific and you're chunking down. Now, what will happen is most people aren't going to really want to jump from here to here and, and have concession. But what you can start to do is you can start to find common threads and you start to say, well, why do you believe this? 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 And eventually what happens is they start to come down. These guys end up hugging and embracing on stage and then they go on to co-facilitate and I think even co-author a book together or something like that. And the guy who was the one- Did they really? Yeah, and the guy who was the one who stood up and said, uh, America's getting what they deserve. He wrote a book called My Jihad and then he did a TED talk on it too. And it's out there somewhere. I don't know if it's, but it's out there. You, you Google on Ted's website or go on YouTube and just type in my jihad. It's that guy and he shares a little bit of a story with it. But I think they actually did facilitate a couple discussions with it because they had a model now that they could take and teach and they could realize in, in that what they eventually realized is they realized they wanted very similar things Yes. They wanted their families to be safe. They wanted the communities to be cared for. They wanted to be loved, respected, seen, heard, and felt like they mattered. Right? Big freaking surprise that this is a theme throughout humanity. But because they had the life experiences, circumstances, whatever they did, they were, th- they were on these completely different ends of the spectrum. Yes. And this, this bears mentioning, Gary and I were talking about this beforehand. One of the challenges that we all face is that when we cast judgment on another, which we all do, right? I will be the first to raise both my hands here and say, I judge people every single day. And I try to be more conscious of it and do work on it. But I do, I, I, I fully acknowledge that. And I, I put my hands up and say that I'm, I'm judging. When we cast judgment on others and we're judging them to be like or dislike us, judging them as to be similar or dissimilar, what we fail to do, especially when we disqualify them, when we disqualify them for something that maybe they like Trump, maybe they have a different skin color, different religious belief, whatever it is. Even though we might have so many things alike and they have this one thing that's different, right? Many of us probably don't talk to some of our family members right now and friends because of their political beliefs. We have all this stuff. We have the shared history, commonalities, and we cannot fathom why they believe what they believe, why they support Trump, why they don't support Trump. And because of that, we throw our hands up, we unfriend them, we delete them, we unfollow them, we won't answer their calls, anything like that. When we make that judgment in that moment, we fail to qualify everything in that person's experience, all the moments of their life that led up to them, the relationships they had with their children, the relationships they had with their parents, the trauma they went through as kids, what teacher they bonded with, what teacher they couldn't stand, that time they were at the principal's office and they got in trouble, that time they did something they got away with it the time that they took a risk and they were willing to voice what they believed in, they got shut down. The time they took a risk and they voiced something they believed in, they got praised for it. All these things that happen that bring us up the collection of all of our moments to bring us up to that one moment where we say something and then we judge them on that moment, whatever behavior, whatever they say, and we take it a step further and we personalize it. Jared, how, how, how can you, I don't understand. We have so much like, how can you do this to me? How can you like Trump? Like, I hate him. How can you like him? Yes. Like, you're hurting me. And so we take, we make, then we, 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 in some crazy way, we make someone else's life experience 
about hurting us. It's almost like they did this thing because it, it's causing us pain. Yes. Yes. And then, and, yeah. It, uh, when, you, when you tell that, that part of the story, I got like 10 minutes. When you tell that part of the story, two things come to mind, right? First thing that comes to mind is, see, that's why Tony Robbins makes big bucks. <laughs> because not a lot of people could have handled that situation well, right? Most, most people in that situation are going to, to crumble, or even if they do bring the two people up on stage, they're not going to have the ability to nuance it to, 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 to get them to see that that both, you know, that size, especially in the moment. Yeah, set when aside his own personal opinions. Just crashed, right? And I'm sure he has his own emotions, yeah. feelings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I always joke with some of my friends who are, who are entrepreneurs who don't like Tony Robbins, right? And I'm like, oh, it's all fun and bullshit. It's all fruity stuff, right? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm like, the dude is well-studied, knows what he's talking about, and he's really freaking good at it. To why some other people who make more than both of us still pay him thousands of dollars an hour to fucking spend time with him. That's why Bill Clinton called him, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> about to get because they're like, oh no, 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 you got some, you know, and like so, it, you know, every everybody has gets to where they are because they bring some kind of value. So that's the first thing that I thought of, right? And then the and then the second thing, um, you know, uh, was was exactly what you talked about, like we we disqualify, you know, and, it, and we, we only do that when we get into that fearful place, right? Or that hurt place or that angry place, whatever you want to call it. I always say that the, the root thing is fear. I always say that. I, I, I always believe the root and that's the Star Wars. If you've ever watched Star Wars, freaking comparison, right? You know, it, it fear, fear, leads to you know anger anger leads to hate hate is the dark side right and that's yoda right <laughs> and uh he's talking to anakin and he's like oh the weakness i see is fear right he's fear right and so um you know um uh if i'm if i fear like when i find out that somebody believes in something that in their like me that i didn't think that they could believe in or like something that i didn't think they could like and they're like me. And I really detest it, right? I really don't like it, right? You know what I mean? Um, part of that really, anything you really hate, anytime you really, really hate something, you need to fucking review why. Because <laughs> so really and truthfully, like anytime like people say I hate Trump, like I hate him, right? Like you're probably a little bit like that. You're probably non-negotiable in a couple of areas and you hate the fact that he's non-negotiable and rude abrasive and maybe those opposite areas or feels the exact opposite, right? As you, and you're like, well, he's a fucking, he's a bigot. But then if I listen to you expound some of your beliefs, they kind of sound like bigotry too on another level. But anyway, so <laughs> I just throwing that out there, folks. If you hate anybody or anything, you know, you probably need to review why you hate it. Like, just think about it for a second. But okay, but say your friend, exposes this belief that they like this thing or this person that you hate, right? Now you feel like you can't trust them, right? And you're afraid that they're go all of the trust that you put into, into, into them up until now was a mistake. 
was a mistake. And that's and that's why you draw that line in the sand. It's like, oh, this you feel like you literally feel like, oh, they fooled me. They're not who I thought they were. Right. And I'm afraid now because I can't I can't trust you. That like you might betray me. Right. You look at it as a betrayal because they like this person. You how could you do that? But then you like they might betray me. Right. And you know, I can no longer trust them. And so, and fear sets in, and then anger, blah blah blah. But um, yeah, I, I, I think I'll, I'll leave my 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 personal because we're gonna run out of time. My personal evolution in terms of you know nine eleven um, out of it, but uh, it's it's interesting. At some point, I'll probably tell you guys. But I was I was definitely um, I think you guys know I was a radical left and ended up becoming a United States Marine and, and a decently conservative person. Um, and that was an evolution for me as far as how I grew up, the limited perspective that I had of America, American values, and whether or not we stayed true to those values. Okay, so I'll, I'll put it to you like this. So 9-11 happened. We believe red, white, and blue. America became united, right? And you you hear stories, and I almost fucking broke a tear when you told the story of the woman who gave, you know, the badge, um, her husband's firefighter badge to 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 um, George George Bush, and you know, and I imagine him running into the building to try and pull out as many people as he possibly could right and 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 that was in those thoughts in those images those firefighters and police officers who lost their lives you know on that day at 9-11 that became america right that was it wasn't it wasn't just america was attacked right or that the the, the people flew into those two towers what we became or what we solidified behind was the heroes, the people who ran into the building to save other people, as many people as they could get out, out, right? When those two towers were coming down to risk their life and their limb for people that they did not know, but were their countrymen. And that became for 10 years plus whatever, that was America. And those are the values that we want, right? <laughs> those are the values that we, we, we really want to, to exemplify as Americans. And somehow, and it was a reminder of that, like it, it, even though like, you know, there, you had people um, who said, well, you know, America, America got what they deserved, right? This is, this is you know, tyrants throughout the world, right? Bullies in a, in, on a world sphere and blah, 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 blah. You know, not to be, not to, not to make light of that, because that was something that I believed when I was young, right? And I was deep into politics, deep into history, manifest destiny, you know, read about, you know, the atrocities that happened to Native Americans and, you know, Black people. I was deep into it. And if you guys know what manifest destiny stands for, the United States should control the Western Hemisphere. So we literally 
have our hands in the politics of every country in the Western Hemisphere. It's why, we, it's why when Cuba succeeded, we had the Bay of Pigs and they, or Cuba, <laughs> Cuba, we had the Bay of Pigs and all that kind of stuff. We, we have our hands. Don't ever think that we don't have our political, economical, and then military hands. That's why we, you know, Nicaragua with, with Noriega and all that other kind of stuff. And, you know, we have our hands in as many governments as we can. We have our hands in, in their politics in the Western Hemisphere. And that is actually a part of the United States doctrine as we were becoming a founding country, as we were founding as a country in order to be, and this is what it took me to grow up to understand, right, Jesse? In order to be safe and truly sovereign and stay that way, we have to be involved in the politics of every country in the Western Hemisphere. We have to be because their stability or their stance affects our stability and our position. Now, how we do that, whether or not we're taking advantage of blah, 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 I'm not going to dig on that, right? That's a whole nother fucking question and we can talk about that some other day. But when I was young, I was just like, well, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And so when Two Towers thing happened for me, I was very jaded as a young African-American male with the United States of America, right? And um, it wasn't... I didn't necessarily have the same sense of unity. That makes any kind of sense. Didn't necessarily have the same sense of unity um, in terms of standing up for American Americans. But you know what I did have? Respect for every man and woman who ran into that building to save other people's lives. A hundred percent. hundred percent. And I think, I think, you know, now that I'm older, like the America that we want, that we want to exist, it does not see color. It does not see, you know, background. <laughs> it does not see upbringing. It doesn't even necessarily see you know, values or beliefs. It sees another human being in a situation that needs my help and I'm going to fucking help. That to me is, is if I were to break down what America means to me and what I think Americans really want to live up to is I see other people, other places that I know, that I don't know, that are like me, that are not like me, but they need my fucking help. So I'm going to help them. I'm going to help them. And that is the American value that I choose to fucking found my beliefs in because I've seen it enough, seen it enough to believe in it. So why the that's that's what and that's where all my frustration is who we are that's what i think right that's what i think right i think i think that americans right left whatever have that somebody needs my help i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna do my best to help them you know what i mean as within my within my power right 
and I think we're losing sight of that. Anyway, TMI. But okay, not TMI, but like that's hey, I'm getting emotional. I'm getting emotional. <laughs> I love that, Jared. And I know you have to run and we'll end it with this. Everybody, it's the question that we always ask on this date every year. Where were you on 9-11? And maybe maybe this would be a really cool thing for us to all share because I think with our unique scope of experiences and backgrounds this is a fairly safe one for us to offer a share because we all had some sort of charge. Where were you at 9-11, September 11th, 2001? And what was your reaction? What did you think? What did you feel? And, you know, be willing to share. Be willing to share. Jared was willing to venture and share some of what he felt. And I'm willing to bet some of us in this group probably felt similar. And some of us may have felt something completely different. And I love, Jared, that you acknowledged that police officers, firefighters running in, even though you thought there had been so much wrongs, you 100% respected them. So I think that's a really poignant thing to speak to sometimes the complexities of our beliefs and values, right? Is because we, we separate these different pieces of it. Well, on one hand, I, this is this, but on this other hand, it's this. So yeah, this, Jared's got to run. So let's end it with that. Where were you on September 11th, 2001? How did you think and what were you I got two minutes. Yep, so go. I, want, I want to hear your part, but I was in my senior in high school. I was in a, was it marine biology? I think it was a marine biology or biology class. It was like a, it was an AP bio kind of thing. So it was a special kind of biology class. I can't remember which one it was, but uh, I was in there and I remember sitting in the classroom. This is what I remember, right? Seeing the two towers hit. I remember this girl, oh God. What's her name? Oh, oh, it had it in my head. I think it was like, it was like Melanie. Uh, fuck, she was a dancer. Anyway, she was a black girl. And I remember her bawling her eyes out. Huh. I remember her crying. And I remember some other people crying. And I'm looking at her crying. And this black girl is crying when these two towers are hitting. I'm like, why the fuck is she crying? Like, and I'm literally, I'm looking. And, that's the, and those were the thoughts that went through my head. If you want to know how I felt, I watched other people. I, I watched some other people cry. But I looked at any. I remember a black girl crying, or any, I looked at any at that point in time. This is my views. Looked at any black person that I saw that was crying or upset, and there were many. There were many because I went to a majority black school, so we had more black students than white students or Hispanic students by far. And I was, and I saw the hurt and the pain in their eyes when when the two towers and like I said, crying. And I was like, well, why are you crying? Why are you so upset? And so that was my, that was where I was. Now, that, mm -hmm. I don't know what kind of expressions that cast. So what you guys think of like 17 year old Jared, but that was what I was looking at. Like, why are you crying? What's wrong with you? So <laughs> there, where, where were you? Where were you? That's what I want to hear. I want to mm -hmm. hear, where were you? Do you I'll remember? Give you, I'll give you the quick version so you can get going. I, I was, so I remember my mom came in and said, turn the TV on the, the, tra the trade centers on fire. And I turned it on and it was just the one building going and, you know, there's still kind of jarbled information. So I was watching on the news and then right shortly after that, the second plane hit and still trying to make sense of everything, what's going on. And what I really too remember later in that day was hanging out with a friend of mine and her saying, I don't understand what they're talking about retaliation. The people who did this are dead. And I remember looking at her thinking like how freaking stupid are you like these guys who were on their like little puppets and this grander thing of whatnot and, and then also having this fear of of 
this fear of like, gosh, or, or, or am I safe anymore? You know, are we safe here? Because that was such a iconic thing. I mean, that was the intro to Friends. That was Spider-Man going up on the, you know, that was, that was so much of it. That was, you, you think about, you rewatch any movies from the 80s and 90s that have New York. There's always a Home Alone, Macaulay Culkin standing up there looking at the Twin Towers. Like it's in all those. And I had never been to New York, but I felt I knew New York from movies and, and, and watching the Today Show in the morning and all those types of things. And yeah, so it was that. I was like, my God, if that thing is not safe, am I safe? But then also feeling this, like this, hearing people start talking about, oh, we got to get even, we got to go get them, we got to defend ourselves and feeling like I had a responsibility then too, to join friends, people who I didn't know, people who didn't necessarily look like me, sound like me, believe what I believed, but they were American like me mm-hmm. and feeling like, well, if they're going to go and do this then I should be going and doing that too, because this isn't about me or them. It's about us mm-hmm. as Americans protecting our family, not my family, our family. So I really scared. I know you got to run and everybody, your homework is where were you on 9-11? What did you think? What did you feel? And we'll yes. involve the discussion. Be honest. Be honest. Yes, yes, please. All right, buddy. I appreciate you, Jared. Take it easy.